in all. This is the word of God. Let's pray and ask for his help to understand it this evening. Father, we are in awe as we think about the writing of your word, how you carried Paul along by the Holy Spirit such that his letter to the church in Ephesus is with us here today as inspired text, inerrant, without any mistake, sufficient for our lives and authoritative. Father, we pray that it would be those things to us this evening. Give us life through this text, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So by way of review then, Paul's prayer to the Ephesians, I have argued, is something of a mirror image to his opening eulogy. Verses 3 through 14, Paul expounds the riches of God's grace to every believer in Christ. He shows these Christians in Ephesus that they have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, that God in Christ has not withheld any spiritual blessing, but that we have it all. He unpacks the riches of those blessings over a number of verses, and then he enters into his opening prayer. There are other prayers in this letter, but this is the first And the conundrum with which we're faced as we come to read it is, what on earth do you pray for someone who has everything? And I've argued as we've studied this prayer that Paul is essentially praying that they would simply know the blessing that is theirs. What do you pray for somebody that has everything? You pray that they would know it. Paul opens his prayer by saying, I want you to know God. That is the entry point into their grasping of who they are in Christ. They are spiritually rich. But in order to understand that, they must first come to a deeper, more grounded, more fully robust knowledge of God himself. As they grow in their knowledge of God, they would then grow in their knowledge of his gospel. Paul's prayer is a mirror image of the eulogy He wants these believers to grasp more fully the gift and the giver. And this prayer, as you'll remember, I mentioned, is a prayer for all Christians. It is a prayer to live by. This is not a prayer that is exclusive to the Ephesians. It doesn't relate only to them, but it is a prayer that is adequate and appropriate for every single Christian in all of church history. It is a prayer by which we should be living our lives. Just by way of application, I would encourage you to think through if and how our study of this prayer has evidenced any fruit in your lives already. Has it in any way informed your prayer life? Has it changed the way you think about praying for yourself, for your family, for those around you, for your brothers and sisters in this church? This is why we have Scripture today. It is to teach us, to instruct us, to edify us, to encourage us. 
This is why we gather together on a Sunday night for a second time on the Lord's Day and we give time to His Word in order that there would be changes in our lives. That more glory would be given to God by virtue of our time together. And this mini-series within our study of the book of Ephesians, this smaller series in Paul's prayer, should be bearing fruit in your life. Specifically, And most obviously, the fruit that we would hope to see in our lives from our time in Paul's prayer is that we would start to imitate this prayer. That we would start to imitate this prayer as a habit, as a standard prayer by which we pray that you would be asking regularly that God would further increase your understanding of him. That God would further equip you with a knowledge of your salvation. Of all of the salvation benefits that you have, past, present, and future. That is the logic of Paul's prayer. He walks through the gospel. And he says, I want you to know this. And God's desire for us surely would be exactly the same thing. That we would grow in our knowledge of God and grow in our knowledge of his gospel. So I want to ask you at the very beginning of our study this evening, has this prayer taken root in your own prayer life? Are there hints of this prayer, if not this very prayer, showing up in your meditations and in your petitions? Consider praying through Paul's prayer for you, for those around you, and for those with whom you're in membership at this church. Pray on a Monday morning. Pray for each other. We spend Sundays together and then we go about our thing, whatever that is in the week. Rise on a Monday morning and pray for your brothers and sisters at Bethany Bible Church. Lord, would you this morning Enable my brothers and sisters to better grasp your glory, to further apprehend your character. And as you give them by your grace that knowledge, would you then allow them to see the glory of the gospel this day? Would you guide them by your spirit this day to further understand the grace that has been given to us through the saving work of Jesus Christ? These are important prayers, far more important than prayers that you might pray concerning the particular circumstances of your day. I truly believe that. Far more important than asking the Lord that today might go your way is the prayer for others that they would fully apprehend God and his gospel. That is a prayer of eternal significance. And so consider, as we round off our study this evening in Paul's prayer, how this has shaped and informed your own prayer life. Now, after Paul has told the Ephesians what he prays for them, at the very, very end, he adds almost something equivalent to an appendix, almost something 
akin to a footnote. Just one last comment that doesn't actually form so much part of the petition, but an explanation. Verse 23, he explains what exactly is the church. Backing up a little bit, he has said that Christ has been put in an authoritative position over all things and been given as head to the church, comma, explanatory comment, by the way, the church is his body. It's his fullness, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And as I've pondered this verse, I've found that there is so much to say that we could easily spend the next few weeks considering this closing remark in Paul's prayer. Just incredible theology in this closing comment in Paul's prayer. I struggled even to to understand how we might get into it. How might our study begin As we think through what is Paul saying here, one way in which you can often start to prize open the theology that is inherent to a text is to start asking questions of the text, ask some good questions of the text and see what fruit it starts to yield. And the question that I think we're to ask of this text is simply, what is the church? That is what Paul is explaining in this last verse. He adds this comment as as an explanatory comment concerning the church. And so one way in which we might go about our study this evening is simply to ask, what is the church? It's to that question that this verse provides an answer. And I've divided the text, short as it is, I've divided it into three points Paul explains to us three things about the church. It is the body of Christ, it is the fullness of Christ, and it is the treasure of Christ. There are headings this evening. What exactly is the church? It is the body of Christ, the fullness of Christ, and the treasure of Christ. Beginning first then with the body, Paul says Christ sits as head over all things. He's been given as head to the church. And then he says the first thing, which is his body. The church is Christ's body. Paul will use, he will employ a handful of metaphors throughout the letter to the Ephesians. He will employ a handful of metaphors to describe the church. You're probably familiar already with a number of them, not least that The church is the bride of Christ. Here, the metaphor that he employs is the body. The church is the body. That immediately implies certain theological truths. This metaphor would not have been lost on the Ephesians. It was a common metaphor in the ancient world. Paul applies it to the church, but the Ephesians would have been familiar with the body metaphor in many other areas of life. It was often employed in the ancient world to segregate, to mark off a group of people by virtue of their economic status 
or their political status. So you can search ancient literature and you can see the body metaphor used with reference to a group of people many times. And it's usually employed so as to set apart a group of people based upon a level of wealth that they would have. Or political clout. Paul wonderfully picks up that known metaphor and he employs it with reference to the church. So with a little bit of cultural background, you start to see the riches of the church, the theology of the church. Paul is, is upending this metaphor. Compared to how it's normally used, Paul is changing its application. Everybody that reads this letter understands the church is not delineated based on economic status. The Ephesian Christians understand intuitively this body, this church, is not defined by their political clout. That's not who the church is. Paul will go on to say within Ephesians and within his other epistles, the church is defined by one single truth that its members are in Christ. And that's it. In fact, he'll draw attention to the fact that economic status has nothing to do with membership. That your political status has no bearing on your acceptance into this body. Paul will labor the fact that the local church is made up of Greeks and Jews and men and women and old and young and slaves and slave owners. It is all encompassing the one defining characteristic of the membership to the church is your in Christness. That's it. So he he flips this known metaphor on its head and says, you can forget all notions of exclusivity based upon your perceived status in society. But rather, it is Christ that brings us together. And so what that does is it further instructs us about how to go about our membership. What does it mean to belong to a local church, it means that you strive for unity. If the thing that defines your membership is the grace of God made manifest to you through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, there is no room within any local body to behave as if you're better than someone else. There is absolutely no room within a biblical theology of the church, to consider yourself superior to another church member. We are, all of us, sinners saved by the grace of God. Not one of us earned our salvation. Not one of us brought anything to the table that was of any worth before a holy God. And by his grace and his grace alone, he gave us eyes of faith. And now here we are, privileged brothers and sisters in Christ, and we are equals. So just as an immediate point of application, let me encourage you to examine your heart and consider the means, the manner, the way in which you go about your membership. 
If you live out your membership in this local church in such a way that it truly does reflect the metaphor that we are the body of Christ. Now that metaphor, we can keep unpacking it and keep finding more theological truth. It also, by calling the church the body of Christ, it also infers a singularity in our focus. We are the body of Christ. He is our head. What should the church be about but the Lord Jesus Christ? What should the church be consumed with but the Lord Jesus Christ? Where should the church's attention be but the Lord Jesus Christ? It may not be that the Lord has you at this church forever. Who knows what the Lord's plans are for your life He may move your way, perhaps a a work move. It might be that in years to come, you're somewhere else in the country or the world and you're looking for a church. Let me give you a piece of advice. Do not go to a church if it is not all about the Lord Jesus Christ. If you detect a church whose attention is elsewhere, don't go to that church. If you find a church that is all about Christ, that sings of Christ and preaches Christ and practices Christ and celebrates Christ, that's a place to make your home. And please, would you pray that that would be the testimony of this church week after week after week. A biblical ecclesiology instructs us that we are his body, he is our head, so there is to be in this place a singularity of focus. We are to be fixated on the person of Christ and not elsewhere. We do not take our eyes off Jesus. He is our head, and so all that we do must be governed towards an esteeming of him, an exaltation of him, a glorifying of him. And if it is not, then it is most likely not what we should be doing. We have probably lost our way if you detect that Jesus is not the center of what is happening at this church. It infers a singularity of focus. And notice that you have a part to play in this. This is not exclusively an exhortation to the leadership. It is that. I pray that we as elders would be fixated on Christ in our own lives, that we would faithfully lead the church in that direction. But there is an exhortation to you, a church member, to bring Christ into this. For you, a church member, to be all about Christ. Make a contribution here. Show up and bring Christ. Speak Christ to one another. Encourage people around the truth of Christ. Exhort your brothers and sisters on a Sunday around the glory of Christ. Determine to be someone who points others towards Christ. That is what it means to be a good church member. Because we're his body, and that implies a singularity of focus, the metaphor also teaches us that the ministry here is ongoing. 
The metaphor that Paul picks, we are the body of Christ, he is our head, is a living metaphor. It has life implied to it. We are not an inanimate object. We're not dead. We're living. We are the body of Christ. There is blood coursing through the life of this congregation. There is ongoing work here, and the work, the ministry, the labor will continue until the day our head returns. It is always continuing. And so, adjust your understanding of what the church is if you do not already think this to be a place where the ministry is never ending. You come here to serve. You come here to serve others. I would encourage you to think of Sundays as a joyful day, a day of worship, a day of rejoicing with one another, and a day of service. As you drive here in the morning, as you approach this church, pray, Lord, work in my heart right now that I would carry out my presence on this campus today in a servant-like manner. Father, guard my heart from being a consumer today. Guard me from being lazy and idle in this church because I understand that this is the body of Christ. He is our head. It is a living picture and there is ministry to do today. And whoever you are, in whatever capacity you serve on a Sunday, you have a part to play. Paul will speak about this more in this letter. You have a part to play however the Lord has wired you, however he has gifted you. He may have given you the particular gifts that are perhaps the most overlooked. It does not mean that your contribution is insignificant. It is eternally significant. Whatever part you play, it is an eternally significant ministry because it is a ministry within the body of Christ. And so Paul leads by teaching us that the church is the body. It is Christ's body. Secondly, the church is Christ's fullness. He says, verse 23, which is his body, the fullness of him. This is perhaps the most difficult part of the verse to understand, maybe even the whole prayer. One word, fullness. What on earth is Paul communicating? There's two ways to understand this word. One is to take it in an active sense. If we understand it in an active sense, that would suggest that Christ is is lacking and we complete him. We are his fullness. He needs the church in order to be rendered complete. You can take it in a passive sense. To render it as a passive word would be to say that 
Christ is not lacking, but rather he gives to us his fullness. We are the recipients of his fullness. We are the thing that is being filled by Christ. And I believe that that is the better, more appropriate way to understand this word. Turn over with me just very briefly to the book of Colossians. Ephesians and Colossians are very much parallel letters. And what you'll often see is that commentators make sense of a verse in Ephesians by appealing to something Paul wrote in Colossians or vice versa. Written around about the same time and very, very similar in their structure and in their theology There are a multitude of parallel verses between Ephesians and Colossians. And when there's a problem in Ephesians, one thing you can do is to see what Paul said in Colossians to see if that helps us and shines light on the issue. In the book of Colossians, chapter 2, verse 9, Paul writes to the Colossians, In him, that is Christ, The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. There's that same word. The fullness of God dwells in him. He is God and he is not lacking in any sense. Verse 10, you, the church, have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. So even there at the end of the verse, you see those parallels with the kind of things Paul is saying in his prayer. Jesus is, is the rule over all things. He's been given as the head to the church. Power and authority are his. And he is filling you. That's what Paul is saying to the Ephesians here. Not that Christ is lacking Nowhere else in the Bible do we see any sense of Christ needing to be completed by us. But what we do find across the way in Colossians is that the believers are being filled by Christ's fullness. So what does that mean? One commentator puts it like this, all of the divine graces that our Christ's are imparted to the church. All of the divine graces that belong to Christ are imparted to the church as an act of His grace, as an act of His glory. He bestows upon us that which is His. To put it another way, Christ is manifest in the local church. Christ shows up in the local church. Christ is known in the local church. Christ's glory, Christ's grace, Christ's wisdom, Christ's power, Christ's forgiveness, Christ's advocacy, Christ's goodness, Christ's patience, Christ's forbearance, Christ's 
supremacy shows up where? In the local church. And the way in which it shows up is through his people. It is not an arbitrary manifestation that just comes about spontaneously. But God has designed that Christ is made known in the local church through through the lives of his children. That is God's design. Which means each and every act of service carried out in the local church in order to bring glory to God is in some way a manifestation of Christ himself. You see how wonderful this renders our ministry efforts to shake the hand of someone on a Sunday morning and to give them a warm greeting is to communicate Christ to them. That is not a small, negligible, irrelevant act of service. It is the very communication of Jesus Christ to hug a brother or sister To tell them of God's love for them is the communication of Jesus Christ. To pray together and sing together is an altogether otherworldly, supernatural manifestation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of it, there are millions of acts of service that occur on this campus each year and every single one of them in so much as they are carried out with a desire to bring glory to God is a communication of the Lord Jesus Christ towards somebody you see how wonderful a privilege it is to step into a role of servanthood in the local church it is not meaningless It is eternally significant because of what God chooses to do through that act of service. One of the things you'll hear me say often, you hang around any preacher long enough and you get to learn of the things that he speaks of often and I have just about enough self-awareness to know that I do speak of the supernatural activity of the church often. And one of the reasons I labor this is because we live in a society that is so secular that we have lost a true sense of the supernatural. I don't mean anything weird by that word. There are natural things and there are supernatural things. And the supernatural things are the things that God is doing. The church is the most supernatural place on earth. This is where God is at work. And what you have got to do is train your heart to believe in the supernatural activity of the ministry. You have got to train your heart to believe that in the seemingly mundane work of the ministry, supernatural things are happening. 
Because there are times in your life where you have nothing else to cling to, but that God is working in this. There will be discouragements along the way. There will be trials along the way. There are trials ahead of us. By virtue of the fact we live in a broken world, I can only suppose there are trials ahead of some of us that are so deep. And so severe that we cannot get through them but by appealing to the fact that God is in this. He is doing something in this. He is using this for my good, for his glory. And so you have got to learn to think about the church in a particular way. You cannot afford to think about the church in a way that is divorced from the supernatural work of God that is being carried out each and every Lord's day. You have to have a sermon in your heart that is preached Over and over again, fathers, you have to have a sermon that you preach to your children about the supernatural work of the church. You have got to have a sermon that you bring to your wife to encourage her with. Because there are trials ahead. There are difficult times ahead. And the way in which you remain steadfast in those seasons of ministry is to know and to believe that God is doing something spectacular in this. Something glorious in this. Why should I lock up the church building again? No one notices. Why am I always doing Why should I stack these chairs again? These are the most mundane tasks that you might see happening on a Sunday morning. Why should I be the one that fills the coffee urn again? Because I believe that in this ministry, somehow God is communicating Christ to my brothers and sisters in such a way that there will be eternal fruit from my labors this Sunday. So therefore, I will race Towards these acts of service. This is what it means to be the vehicle that God is using. The one that is receiving the fullness of Christ. All of the divine graces that belong to him are being imparted to the church. And the way in which they are being imparted is through the service of brothers and sisters in Christ. Finally, Paul says, the church is Christ's treasure. Now that's one word you don't see in the verse. You see the word body, you see the word fullness, but why treasure? Paul says, the church is his body, the fullness of him, Christ, who is filling all in all. Now, that last phrase there, he is filling all in all. It tells us at least two things. The first is that it tells us that Christ is filling the church robustly. It functions as an adverb describing the verb. He's filling the church, 
In what manner is he filling the church? He's filling the church robustly. He's filling it very much so. He's not hesitant in his filling of the church. That's what Paul is saying there. But it also tells us that there is a kind of filling that happens outside of the church. The description that Paul gives to Jesus is that he is the one who fills all things in all things. That suggests that there is, in some way, according to God's wisdom, a manifestation of the Lord Jesus beyond the boundaries of the church. You can look outside of the church and you can see God's glory You can see it in creation. You can look outside of the church and you can see evidences of God's grace. Even to unbelievers, you can see God's patience towards them. You can see outside of the church manifestations of God's goodness to a rebellious, wicked society. You can look outside the church and see God's judgment. In all of these things, Christ is being communicated. But by mentioning that, Paul is, by inference, drawing our attention to the fact that it is the church that is the special place of Christ communicating himself. Christ does make himself known elsewhere. He does. In many ways, at many times, Christ can be found beyond the boundaries of the church. But his special chosen place, his particular place where Christ is most fully known, is the local church. The local church is Christ's treasure. This is where you come if you want to know Christ. You come to church. You don't go to see a particular landscape, a mountain, or the ocean to have an experience of Christ. You don't go and find some people that are agreeable and will make you feel affirmed so as to experience Christ. You don't search for Christ in your dreams You don't search for him in books and narratives apart from the Bible. The place where you find Christ is the local church. That's where you go to find him where he is made known. As God has placed unbelievers in your life, you bring them to church to know Christ. You invite them to come on a Sunday so that they would be exposed to the truth of the gospel and they would experience something of Jesus Christ in the place where he has chosen to most make himself known. And so it should be as no surprise that as we come to the end of Paul's prayer, yet again, he esteems the local church. The book of Ephesians elevates the doctrine of the local church Maybe more consistently and more emphatically than any other truth, this letter is impressing on you the priority of the local church. 
You wouldn't choose to be anywhere else if you understood the importance of the local church in the life of the believer. And so, in closing, I would say we can all be greatly encouraged by what Paul teaches us about the church. You, this evening, are in the most privileged place on planet Earth. There is nowhere else that you would choose to be but the local church. You have chosen very well this evening. (laughs) You have come to the most privileged place, the place of the utmost blessing. You have come to the place where Christ most makes himself known. And you can be greatly encouraged. Because there's nothing particular about this evening service. This is what happens every single Lord's Day And so this truth that we've meditated upon this evening is true every time we gather. Every time you come, you are coming to the place where Christ is most known. You can also be greatly exhorted. Be greatly encouraged by what Paul says the church is. Be greatly exhorted. I can't leave you without showing you the exhortation that issues from Paul's prayer. Not only should it rightly inform our prayer life, but Paul's truths that he gives us about the church should compel us ever more to serve one another. Do you see how the riches of the church, the body of Christ, the fullness of Christ, the treasure of Christ can only but work themselves out in your heart in such a way that your feet are ever more running towards acts of service in this place. There are thousands of things you could be giving your attention to Sunday by Sunday, week by week, month by month, year by year. It boggles my mind to even consider If you just think for a second, all of man's activities that are happening within this city, within this state or this nation or the world over, in one second, the billions of people that are doing things and to understand that theologically most of the activities rendered second by second will be burnt on the last day. They will not stand. They will receive no testimony into eternity because they are done under the wrath of God. But there is one place where the activities, however small and insignificant they may appear to our eyes, are receiving an eternal testimony. And it is the local church And the acts are those acts of service carried out by the believers here. We come with our hearts oriented towards the Lord. We sing praises to Him. We plead for His grace. And with that, we serve one another. We do so unfailingly, unswervingly. We do so steadfastly because... We understand that this is the place where Christ is being communicated and fruit is being rendered for all of eternity. So as you allow this prayer to start to 
sink into your hearts to affect the way that you pray for one another. Also, allow it to challenge you, to confront you in terms of how you go about your participation here. Every Lord's Day, morning and evening, like the ticking of a metronome, steadfast, back and forth, without missing a beat, determined to be one that is present with God's people, serving your brothers and sisters in Christ, because you understand what the church is. Let's pray in response. Father, we praise you this evening for the church, which is the body of Christ, the fullness of him who fills all in all. As our minds and our hearts are overtaken with wonder at your design in the local church, we pray for your grace to instruct us. Increase our love for the body of Christ. Increase our desire for the body of Christ. Further, orient our lives around the local church. May this be as precious to us as it is to you. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.